chapter 12. So I need your help today. Uh, <clears throat> some people have to be out of here at a certain time. And <clears throat> when a dog starts chasing rabbits, you need to whistle and get him back on where he needs to be. So if I go chase a rabbit, then this somebody whistle out there and we'll get back on the track. <clears throat> Let's read again um, Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. Or 5 through 11. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? <clears throat> for they verily for a few days chasteneth after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. <clears throat> and so just to review a little bit, um, we as God's children uh, go through times of trials and troubles. In those times, uh, we need to quit asking why, and we need to ask what is God trying to accomplish? What's he trying to work in my life? And this passage goes a long ways in answering that. We, we spoke to you a little bit about uh, what chastisement was. And that word chastisement just didn't mean spankings. It has to do with the overall process of training and developing and bringing a child to a place of usefulness and discipline in his own life to be mature. And then we, we talked to you about three kinds of discipline, uh, both in our homes and with the Lord, educative discipline and preventive discipline and corrective discipline. And this morning we looked more at a kind of a general way of this subject. And this afternoon we're going to look at a more personal, how does that deal with me personally? When I was growing up and my father would call me aside and take me into a room and tell me, as soon as he called me aside, said we need to go in here and talk, uh, it, got, it got personal really fast. And he <clears throat> would give me some preventive discipline and say, I'm not going to let you uh, go to this party tonight. I'm not going to let you go on that trip with those boys. Preventive discipline, keeping me out of harm. <clears throat> Sometimes he said, okay. 
I told you what you need to do and you're not listening, go ahead and try it. And let me tell you, that was educative. <clears throat> when I went ahead and did it, and it blew up in my face. And I'm telling you, it got really personal when he said, <clears throat> go to your bedroom. I'll be in there in a moment. Very personal. <laughs> and, uh, and it got my attention. Well, this relationship with the Lord ought to be seen as very personal. The Bible says, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. That he relates to us as a father. It's personal. There's something that passes between us and our Father. First John said, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What a privilege to be called sons of God. It's a personal thing. He wants to be personal with us. He wants to be close with us. He wants us to have a personal relationship with him. We're called the sons of God. And so what we're going to do this afternoon, we're going to look at three very personal uh, matters concerning discipline. And some of those have uh, more than one topic in it. But we're going to look at what discipline, uh, when, we're under, when we're underneath discipline and when the hand of God is upon us, uh, what we need to avoid. We need to avoid some things. And then we're going to look at uh, two very personal and wonderful things that God proves uh, when he disciplines us. And then we're going to look at four benefits of God's discipline. There's always beneficial when God disciplines us. And so the first that we'll look at is, uh, is we're just getting again how it's personal. If you endure chastening, God deal with you as his sons. And so he wants to deal with us in a personal way, as a father would give us and would deal with us. And we gave them reverence, so we must rather be a subjection to the father's spirits that if we reverence our parents, then we ought to reverence God also. And so the first thing I want you to see is some things that we need to avoid when we are disciplined. Look there in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children? My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor fate when thou art rebuked of him. There's two things mentioned here in a negative that we should avoid, that we should at all possibility and with all power we can, to avoid despising the discipline of God and and then on the opposite end, to faint when we're disciplined. That word, that word despised uh, has to deal, really means to treat lightly. <clears throat> uh, we uh, don't take it very serious. We just, uh, oh well, ho-hum. And uh, it's, it's to despise the discipline of God when we take it lightly. <clears throat> We uh, always should consider why 
and what God is trying to do here. I think what happens is that we're so often twined with the cares of this world. We're so connected to the things of this world that we don't uh, even want to listen or ask the question, what's happening here? Why am I going through this? It's as though God's trying to teach us something, but we're playing hooky from his school. You know, we're, we've got our own thing that we're doing, and we're, we're playing hooky. He may have placed some roadblock in our lives through preventive discipline, and we're bound and determined to push through it and go around it and, and not listen. We despise the discipline of God when we complain. These things are happening to us, they're brought into our lives, and we're complaining. I don't understand why this is happening to me. I don't understand why I'm going through this. And the Bible calls it murmuring. And that's not a very popular word. God's, God is against murmuring. When I was little, and I don't know when this song come into existence, but I only remember the, the chorus of it, but when people get in a place of murmuring and and uh, doing their own deal. The chorus went like this. Go ahead and take another lap around Mount Sinai till you learn your lesson. Till you stop your whining and quit your rebelling. Till you learn to stand in your day of testing by trusting and obeying the Lord. That if we won't listen the first time, <clears throat> if we don't pay attention, that there's going to be another lap around Mount Sinai until we learn our lesson. And it took 40 years for them May not take 40 days for us, but let us, let us listen and not despise the discipline of God. We uh, need to understand that God is trying to get our attention. That, and what happens is we say, well, my mind's made up. I'm going to do this anyway. We're determined to deter from the path, the goal, our wants and what we think we need, we're not going to change. And uh, we're going to do exactly what we want to do. But that's a dangerous place. <clears throat> the Bible reminds us that we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. That we belong to the Lord. That we, that we aren't just uh, the master of our own destiny. That, that he owns us and he has the right to tell us what to do and Proverbs says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And so, let's not be uh, murmuring. Don't despise God trying to do something. Don't despise when you don't get your way and uh, when we're used to having our way. But it has to be God's way, and God's not going to budge. But on the, farther, the other spectrum of that, he says there in that same verse that we, that we faint not, the last part of verse 5, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. The opposite spectrum is that in looking to our insufficiency, looking at, at, at our faults, looking at our sinful behavior, we often become very... Uh, depressed. We, we, uh, we sense our inadequacy. We, uh, 
we understand that the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and that describes my heart exactly. But we forget that when we're saved, that God makes us a new creature. That behold, all things become new, and that God has designed that we're to be more than conquerors through Him. We forget Paul telling us that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I want you to look over in Psalms 42. David was in a real place where he was fainting at what was going on in his life. In Psalms 42, he says, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. And so he felt like that God had, was against him. He, he felt distance from God. He said, My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say to me, Where is thy God? And so he's wanting relationship with God. He, he feels like that he's been held out from God and held away from God. And, and the people around him that were anti-God would say, Hey, hey, where's your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, and I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of praise, with a multitude that kept the holy day. And so he wanted to go to God's house. He, he wasn't able to. And he says, then he says to himself, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? At times when God has given me discipline, spanking me in a corrective way, I can become very discouraged. I can realize my inadequacy. I can realize that there's nothing good about me in and of myself. And he says, and then he says to himself, Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and the the Hermonites and from the hill miser. Deep calls in the deep as the noise of the water spouts. All thy ways and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. In the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto God of my life. And so, though he was discouraged, he was determined to hope in God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He's questioning himself. And what happens at times is that our nature is uh, we can, our, 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 the little man, and the, you know, one on one shoulder, one on another, but one will say, man, it's bad, it's really bad. What you've done is terrible. Man, this is horrible. Man, you, you, you dirt bag, and, 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 and we, we can be cast down. Why aren't they cast down? That word cast there is like a sheep that's got into a little dip and he's fallen on his back and he's there kicking his legs, can't get up. That's a cast sheep. And if we stay in that state, we can actually, a sheep can actually die in that state because his uh, digestive system won't work right and he can get bloated and died. And he, and he says to himself, he's, he's just kind of taking himself and shaking himself and talking to himself. And he says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why are you like this? Why are you thinking this? Hope thou in God. That God is for us. That God is for me. That, that, that I don't want to remain in this state of depression. And so when we are, when we are uh, underneath discipline, let us remember that uh, we shouldn't 
we shouldn't despise it, but neither should we let it overwhelm us. That what he's done, he's done because he loves us. Now the second thing that we want to look at um, is that what discipline proves in verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God doeth you as with sons. For what son is he whom thy father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof you are partakers, then they are your bastards and not sons. The first thing he says here, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. You know, when I was growing up, you know, my father would, uh, would say, you know, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And, and I said, yeah, sure, Dad. <laughs> and, then, and then I get the spanking, and he tells me, I love you. Yeah, sure, Dad. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and even one time, you know, he spanked me, and I knew he spanked me because he, because he wanted me to suffer. And, he, and so he spanked me, and I started crying. And I cried. And he quit spanking me, and I cried, and I cried. And, uh, and then he said, if you don't quit crying, you're going to get spanking. I thought, how do you win in that, you know? Well, he, he knew what was going on. But the point is, is that he did spank me because he loved me. We live in a world of unnatural affection. I mean, getting older and a little bit wiser and knowing that it's probably best that you mind your own business. That I, I've, you know, when you go to the grocery store and this kid is acting up, just acting up terrible, and you know what he needs is a good spanking and you just want to yank him out of the cart and lay into him. But the bottom line is, he doesn't have a mama that loves him. Just let him go ahead and do what he wants to do. And the Bible tells us here in this passage that whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. <clears throat> that uh, discipline and chastisement is done out of a heart of love. Really, uh, we kind of mislabel our penal institutions. Uh, the one in town is called Fairbanks Correctional Center. There's nothing correctional about Fairbanks Correctional Center. It's punitive. And it ought to be punitive. You know, that it ought to be so punitive that people don't ever want to come back in there again. But it's not a correctional center. Because there's no love involved in the, in the system of the government. But correction speaks of love. And God loves us. And because he loves us, he's going to close some doors. And he's going to open some doors. Because he loves us, he's going to say, listen, you being my child, you can't do this. You're not going to be able to do this. 
you're going to have to be corrected for doing this. And as I said this morning, the punishment for doing it is going to be worse than the pleasure of doing it. The God disciplines our lives. Job said, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Jeremiah said, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. In Revelation, the Lord speaking to the church, one of the churches of the Revelation, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be jealous, therefore, and repent. But not only does it prove that he loves us, but discipline there in verse 8 proves that we're his children. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. You know, First John tells us if we love the brethren, if we love the word of God, and First John gives us, you know, these things are written that you might know you have eternal life. But one of the very uh, most outstanding things that proved to me that I am a child of God is that he doesn't let me get away with everything or anything. <laughs> he disciplines me. And thank God for discipline. There's been times in my life when I've had to bow my head and say, thank you, Lord, for uh, not allowing me to do that. Thank you that you cared enough for me to stop me. And the Lord loves us. And we live in a, you know, we live in a world, a whole system that is against correction, that's against discipline, that we can't stifle their inner being, that we need to let them be what they want to be, when all of that is just totally a foreign and all that totally ends up in harm and hurtfulness uh, to the person. And so he tells us if, if we endure discipline, God dealeth us as with sons. For what son is he whom thy father chasteneth not? And, and that's a question, that's an old time question, isn't it? When he says, for what son is whom the father chasteneth not? There's a lot of sons today that the father chasteneth not. And a, lot of, and a lot of prisoners in FCC are there because the Father chasteneth not. Yeah. And, and also, I think even, though, even to add to that, there's a lot of people who have great resentment because when the Father chastened them, it wasn't out of a heart of love. It wasn't out of the motive that I'm doing this to help you, but it was out of frustration and anger uh, toward their children and... Uh, and that brings bad repercussions also. And so the first thing that discipline brings, uh, the first thing that, that we ought to avoid, avoid is despising and fainting. The second thing that we ought to see is that it proves something. And if you're without chastisement, as I mentioned this morning, God doesn't chastise those that aren't his. And if we can just go and do what we want to do and never suffer the repercussions of it, uh, then it's a good sign that you need to do business with God concerning your eternal salvation. Now, the four things that, four things, four benefits of the discipline of God. This is going to be short and sweet and Doug will be able to go when he needs to. Just because it's short and sweet doesn't mean that it's not uh, impactive or important. Verse 9, 
Furthermore, we have fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Should we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? One thing about the discipline from God, whether it be preventive or corrective or educative, is that it causes me to reverence the Lord, to respect him, and then to submit to him. We saw, we, we read this morning about Job saying to God, you know, I know you're stronger than me and more powerful than me and you're God, so who can question you? But in the end, that whole thing got flipped when, when he was asked all those questions you know, who made the horse to have his strength? And he talked about the peacock and, uh, and the wonderful feathers and, and asked where was Job when he set the foundation of the world. And, and Job became to, came to see that really in comparison to God, uh, he's minuscule. And he come to see that, that God was a great God and he was just, just one of a million people upon the earth. But it caused him to honor him to God, honor God. It caused him to be submissive. It caused him to reverence God. It caused him to see that without God, he was nothing. And then look at the last of verse nine, very interesting, the last word there. He said, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection into the father's spirits and live? Look, at, look over in 1 John chapter 5 and look at verse 15. 1 John 5, 15. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desire to him. If any man see his brother sin, a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and it shall be given. He shall give him life for him that sinned not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. There's a whether that is a sin is a specific sin or just sin that builds up to death. The point is this: is that a Christian can put himself in a place where he is no longer any earthly good to God, and God calls him home. The sin can result in death. Look over in Deuteronomy. We're not underneath the legal system of the Old Testament, but Deuteronomy chapter 21, though we don't follow the legal system, nevertheless, it gives us the thinking of God, who God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 18, If a man have a stubborn, rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father, or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and mother lay hold on him, and bring him out unto the elders of this city, and to the gates of this place. And so we might think, well, they're going to go to the authorities and they're going to get them to talk to their son. But that's not what it's saying. And they shall say unto the elders of this city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. 
He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he die. Shall thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. It's evil to be disobedient. It's evil. And, and Hebrews implies that if we obey, it will give us life. I think not only does it mean living life, you know, we remain alive, but it also has to do with abundant life. Way early in my ministry, maybe three or four years into my ministry, we had a family coming to church here, and uh, had a, he had both of them had fair testimonies, and and it came to my knowledge that he, the husband, had been seen with other women. He was an airplane. He had a small airplane, and he would fly at different places, and at times he would take this woman with him. And so I went to see him, and he didn't like me being there, but I told him that this couldn't remain, couldn't keep happening, and eventually he's going to get excluded from the church. And uh, word got back to me that he was coming to church on that Wednesday night, and uh, he was going to straighten me out in front of everybody. And so... I uh, went to the pulpit to preach, and before, before I could even get the reference out, he come marching forward. I was going to, I thought, you know, have his say, and I thought, well, we're going to have to have it out. We'll have it out right now. I come, he come and stood before the altar, before the pulpit, and I came down, and he broke down, started crying, and said that he knew he was wrong and wanted to change. And, and, uh, and uh, wanted to be right. Well, they didn't get right. And uh, in the fall of the year, he and another friend of his, they both had airplanes. They flew up north to go caribou hunting, and they landed in their camping spot, and then they left their boys there at camp and got in an airplane and was going to go fly around to kind of see the vicinity where the caribou could be. The two fathers got in the plane, and the two boys stayed at the camp. And on the flight to scout for caribou, the wing came off the plane, and they both died. I'm convinced he was a saved man. And I'm convinced that God disciplines his own. The Bible says, to be in suggestion to the father of spirits, and live. Listen, when God disciplines us, he's deadly serious. 
And we get to our place where we're no longer any earthly good to a heavenly father. We're going home. That's not his desire. But when we're doing more to mess up his work than to benefit his work, there's no reason for, us to, for him to leave us here. And many people have a premature death because they've not listened to God. We're bought with a price. We don't belong to ourselves. And underneath, undergirding all of that is the fact that he loves us. He wants the best for us. And sometimes the best for us is just to go home. And so it produces life, it produces reverence. And then there in verse 10, it produces holiness. For they verily for a few days chasing us after their own pleasure, and we talked to you this morning about what, what they think is best, their choice. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. When God gives me a good whipping, or he says no to me, he prevents me, he educates me in discipline, what that does to me is that I want to live pleasing to him. Holiness. And then verse 11, not only life and holiness and the other that we mentioned, but it says, now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. It was never fun for my dad to say no to me. It was never fun when a barrier was put in me and said, this far, no father. You're not going to go that way you think you're going. It was never pleasant to be disciplined by God. But it always yielded peace in my life. The peaceable fruit of righteousness. That my life became more like his. That I wanted to do right and be right and righteousness but it was a peaceable, it was the fruit of discipline is peace. And I told you this morning about my brother grabbing a hold of my mom and saying, I love you. What, what was happening to that little troubled little guy that when he's just going around and, and being so ornery and being so upset and being so disagreeable? Well, he wasn't at peace. <laughs> but when he found out that his mom loved him enough to give him a spanking and he wasn't going to act that way, it produced the peaceable fruit of righteousness. How does that happen? You know, I mean, psychologists don't understand that. How can, how can that work for good? How can spanking, beating a kid work for good? Because that's God's plan. And they know. You see, you see children that aren't disciplined never know the boundaries. Even my stupid little dog, Lucy, she's always looking back. I mean, she wants to bolt and run, but she's always looking back for the boundaries because, because uh, she likes me for some reason, and, and she wants to come. And when I say no, she knows how far she can go, but when she doesn't, she's, always, she's not sure of herself. Well, thank God that if you've been raised by parents that told you no, but thank God that he cares for us enough 
that he works in our life. And instead of going through this life in all turmoil and always agitated and why art thou cast down on my soul, there's a possibility for the peaceable fruit of righteousness because God is watching over us. Thank God for that. Wonderful thing, discipline. It, 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 it has uh, some warnings. Don't despise it and don't faint because of it. It, it proves some things. It proves that I am my father and he is mine. And his banner over me is love and he loves me enough as his child to discipline me. And then know that it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness in my life. That it gives me life. That he come that we might have life and life more abundantly. But if we don't cooperate with him, he may take us home before our time. And it produces holiness. And so I hope this morning, you know, I... Uh, I struggle sometimes with what to preach and how to preach and you know I actually enjoy preaching more when this pulpit gets beat up a little bit and and I hammer on it uh, but I found out over the years that all this hammering does is wake Chris up and he already lost half the sermon when he went to sleep so uh, but hopefully hopefully when the next event comes in your life and you're scratching your head what's going on, you might think, well, maybe, maybe the Lord's trying to do something. And to realize that I shouldn't despise this, God's working in my life. And one of the greatest places you can be is where you're in a place where there's a peaceable fruit of righteousness. All right? All right, go make it a great week. You're dismissed.